on the show tonight, Marlon Brando sings. That one clue is enough for many people to figure out what film we are talking about. Also, Mario Lanza sings. Although we never get to see the poor bloke in the film. And finally, David Bowie sings. Along with a package that you would have thought many people would have would have been uncomfortable with having in a children's film. Welcome to They Don't Make Up Like They Used To. Good evening and a warm welcome from the studios of Sunshine Radio, broadcasting from St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. My name is Tosin and I will be your host over the next hour and a half as we look back to pre 1980 cinema and pick some absolute gems, the likes of which you would be hard pressed to come by nowadays. Before we go any further, I would like to say a big hello to Dan and Dave and our adopted ward, Alveston. Hi, guys. Dan and Dave, you thought I'd forgotten you, didn't you? Anyway, and a warm welcome to and from my lone partner in the studio tonight, Sharon. Hello. <laughs> yes, some applause just for you, Sharon. Hey. <laughs> how are things going? All right, thank you. So, how have, been, have, have things been in the film viewing world of Sharon? I have been, yeah, I have managed to catch up with things at the cinema that I thought Robert and Dave was missing. And I have, yeah, just been enjoying having a little bit less time. My business, I, have a, I work with a business partner. And he's taken a couple of days off, so it means I get a day off. So, mm-hmm. hey, so I've had been able to catch up with some things, which is good. Oh, cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. And um, now, what happens on this show? We'll explain the format to you. We pick films, as we said, that were made pre-1980. We usually start off, we kick off with, uh, with, a, with a bona fide classic, a film that can just be uh, across the board. We can all just, with no argument, we can all just agree this is a classic movie. Then we go on to a patient choice. Tonight, we have Dan and Dave from Alveston, our adopted ward, joining us. Um, they they picked some. It was, it was a good chat with them. I've got like a good interview with both of those. And uh, then we go on to our hidden gem. My word, my memory is failing me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> then we go into a hidden gem, which is a film that we say, look, this is a film that not that many people know about, but deserves its day in court because people need to track this film down and watch it again because it's a great film. And we'll round the show off, or round off the first part of the show before we go into film reviews. We'll round the first part of the show off with our exception to the rule, which is a film that was made after 1980, but we can wholeheartedly recommend that anybody should track down and watch again. And that's it, isn't it? Yay, that's now, it. Today, today's a little bit of a Sharon special because Sean, who's usually with us, is not around today. So we have picked films that we know Sharon has definitely watched and liked. Yeah. They're all girl films. Ha ha. Yes, yes, I know. I know. But then again, that's why we got you on the show. So we could we could stop having just like a testosterone fool so that not every film was a war film or or something where people get shot (laughs) (laughs) or or something that had like a whole male cast. We brought you in to bring a little bit of balance. And that's what you do very, very, very well. Girl it up a bit. And I can also join in the boy stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like to bring the girls. I I like to think that you hold your own in the boy stuff and I hold my own in the girl stuff. Yes, absolutely. That's what I like to think. I I like to think that. All right, cool. So, Sharon, would you like to tell us what the first film that we shall be talking about tonight is? Our bona fide classic tonight is a 1955 corker called guys and dolls guys and dolls now guys and dolls starring frank sinatra starring um marlon brando gene Gene simmons Simmons, and vivian blaine thank you very much i forgot who played adelaide there 
And obviously, this is like a it's a well known Broadway musical that got turned into a movie yeah. and all that. And it's constantly revived. I mean, you look anywhere, then there's normally a show somewhere. Yeah. So it's still enormously popular as yeah. a piece of theatre. I I feel like it comes back maybe like every three years to the West End. Yeah, I saw one at the at the Mayflower at Southampton. Oh, probably. 10 years ago yeah but that was when it was one of the cast of eastenders was in it i'm trying to think which oh one yeah was. nigel Harmon. nigel Harmon. yeah he was very good yeah so every now and then you it appears up and someone is like hey it's got what's his name from yeah this there, band there was one that they did where you e- e- mcgregor was in it yes you e- mcgregor was nathan detroit in it. so he does uh, like to sing doesn't he old Duvin? he does yeah yeah and he's 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 he, He's reasonable at it. Yeah, I like his voice. He's reasonable at it, I'd say. But okay, now, so to kick it off, there is, I think when you th- when you say Guys and Dolls, at least for me, there's a big part of it because you have Marlon Brando. And Marlon Brando was obviously this serious matinee, brooding, yeah. dark. That's what you got. This Marlon method Bra- actor. Yeah, you got yeah. method, you got intensity, you got smoldering a bit he was yeah, a bit smoldering yeah. he was he was smoldering because he's known for the, he's like on the waterfront streetcar named desire that yeah, kind of stuff that intensity yeah and so that's that's what people know marlon brando for majorly and people think that's what he does but in this film there's no escaping the fact that it's a musical it's a musical he sings he and dances it, it's a musical and he, yeah yeah well he da- yeah dances but <laughs> <laughs> he did the cuba thing he does in the, oh, in the okay in Cuba. In the yeah, bar. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. In the Cuba, in the Havana sequence. The Havana okay, fine. I'll give you yeah. that. I'll give you that. But everybody wants to hear that. You want to hear Marlon Brando sing, and this is his big number. His big number in the movie, "Luck Be a Lady." They call you Lady Luck. But there is room for doubt. At times you have a very unladylike way. Stick with me, baby, I'm the fella you came in with. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady. What are you scared of? Luck be a lady. Yeah, luck me a lady tonight. <laughs> they know how to give a big ha finish, don't well, they? I, 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 I have to admit, in that song, I do like the ha at the end. They, they have the, I do quite like that. So, um, Guys and Dolls. Guys and Dolls. So, a b- little bit of a story of, oh, the storyline of Guys and Dolls. So it's, okay. So, it's based on the books of Damon Runyon. Damon Runyon, yes. Yeah, and this was the the, the, the musical. The music was written by a guy called Frank Loser. Loser, yep. how do we say it? And so that so that's where it was based on. And when they turned it into a musical, what was the story? The story was it starts off with two gamblers. You've got Nathan Detroit, who in the film is played by Frank Sinatra. Yep. And you have got Sky Masterson, who is played by Marlon Brando, as we've just heard. Mm-hmm. And basically, Nathan is the proprietor of the old longest established floating crap game in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and in order to to bribe off a city officials or something, he has to raise a thousand dollars. There and yeah. then, okay. instantly, he needs to raise the thousand dollars. So, so just to to make so this is based in New York. Based in New York. It's based in New York, and when they talk about the crap game, they're essentially saying that it's it's gambling and gambling. So it's in the is, area of prohibition. We yeah. gather when yeah. gambling and drinking was illegal. It's illegal. 
But so he has this he has this game that people want to people want to gamble, go to Dayton Detroit and say where you're yeah. gonna do it and he moves it around the city yeah, so, so it can't, can't be can't be raided. Down. Yeah, so it can't be raided by yeah. the prohibition police. So he has to raise his thousand dollars and it's tr- it's pressing, he has to raise it like now. So he yeah. sees Sky Masterson and he knows that Sky has a reputation for making wild and extravagant bets. He'll bet on raindrops rolling down a windowsill. He'll bet on, bet on flies, which fly or fly away first. Yeah. He's got a reputation that he's a reckless gambler. That's why so they call him Sky. Sky, because the sky's the limit. Go, he, he bets sky high. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that, yeah. And so he sees Sky and he wants to make a, try to get him to make a bet for $1,000 that he's guaranteed to win. Yeah. And this is called a sucker bet. And so Nathan says, right, I'm going to bet Sky that, you know, any any bet that he's guaranteed to get the money that day. Yeah. And so he goes into this all scene. So anyway, he has a bet, and after evading what he thinks is a complete sucker bet, he then says he can take any girl he wants, anywhere he wants, whenever he wants. Yeah. That he has got this just this way that one dame is the same as any other dame, and that a dame's a dame's a dame. Yeah. And so he then they then see the Save a Soul mission walking by, led by Sister Sarah, who's got the reputation of being like this upright, pure, lovely young woman, but whose mind is on the things of above and not the things of earth. So That's, she doesn't care about. They're men pretty much based on the Salvation Army. The, the Save Salvation a Soul Army. Yeah, yeah, you've got the SS on those shoulders, yeah. but that Save a Soul. Yeah. <laughs> not anything more sinister. Yeah. And so Nathan Detroit bets Sky Masterson that he can't take Sister Sarah on a date to Havana, Cuba. Yeah. And so for $1,000, he bets him that he won't make the, the bet. And in exchange, no, I can't think what the exchange, the other bet was. But anyway, this was the, the basic thing. For $1,000, he has to bet that within two days or something, or within a day, he has to take Sister Sarah on this date. Yeah. And so that's where it starts off. You then see Sky pursue Sister Sarah, and then Nathan try to get his way with, with and there's other backstories and side stories like Nathan's got this ongoing relationship with his partner Miss Adelaide. Adelaide. Oh, I love Adelaide. This is great. They've been together for sort of twenty odd years, and she wants them to get married. Whatever. Anyone want to get married or whatever the accent is. Nathan. <laughs> People get married, Nathan. <laughs> and so she's she's concocted this elaborate story around her life that they're married, they've had children, that they're living this perfect idyllic life with the picket fence and all this. And he's still, she's still singing in a bar, and he's still running his his gambling. game, yeah. So that's a little side story, and then you so you have these two parallel stories between like Sky pursuing Sarah and Adelaide pursuing Nathan. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it goes off on this thing where you see Sky, yeah, trying to get her to go to Havana. Then they, he actually actually does go to Havana, but she makes a bet with him, and again they think it's like a sucker bet. Well, yeah, it's it, yeah because essentially, so it's kind of like pretty much um, Nathan. So Nathan tricks Sky into yeah. taking this bet to for for so he can get a thousand dollars so he can actually host this game. Yeah, and then Sky tricks Sister Sarah. Into making a bet, that into he'll making a bet genuine that he, sinners into the save us all be, mission because their their mission is about to be closed down by head office yeah. unless they can show that they're actually getting real sinners coming into yeah. the place to actually hear the word of God or something. Yeah. So 
Nathan, so Sky pretty much says, "Okay, you you come up with me on you come up with me on one date, and I will guarantee you that this place will be full, <laughs> full genuine of, sinners, <laughs> full of genuine sinners." <laughs> so it's actually, it becomes this story of all these different people trying to sort of con each other, yeah. <laughs> one way or another. Which I, from what, I've never read the Damon Runyon stories. I have, but but that's it. Seems like it just is. His his view of New York is just everybody trying to hustle everybody yeah, else. Yeah, it's all about hustling. Yeah, and he speaks in this sort of like almost patois where yeah. you know she's got legs that come up to here. And he had a face like that and it, yeah. was, it was all this almost like this sort of pat, patter and you you read it and you, you hear those sort of voices for the early 20th century yeah, yeah. it's quite they're quite strange to read <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, i think it, it is quite good it's um but the film that they they come up with obviously it's hollywoodized so yes. and i think if from when it became a musical yeah i think that was that was the beginning of his hollywoodization i'm guessing that the original stories were probably a little bit darker a bit earthier yes. yeah a, bit, a little yeah. bit darker than what you actually ended up with but what you ended up with was fabulous yeah it's great yeah. and the fact that it's slightly stagey at times i think works for it because mm-hmm. you see the scenes at the end where they stop all the traffic and in like on broadway or somewhere yeah <laughs> to do this and he's like no that ain't happening <laughs> yeah like yeah that was filmed in the studio on yeah, a, on a think, back lot yeah. somewhere like <laughs> So, uh, but it is there's some great set pieces and some great numbers in it. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish, I, this is the kind of thing that makes me wish we because one of my favorite songs from is Adelaide's Lament, where yeah. where she's she's pretty much singing about how the fact that Nathan doesn't want to marry her yeah. has caused her health problems. Could develop a cold. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just, it has a great great stories in it. Great stories yeah. in it, and it's directed by somebody who I think is like one of my favorite directors. Yeah, Joseph mo- Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz, Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who directed All About Eve. Right. Yeah, he directed All About Eve, and he also directed the film that I keep banging on about, which is like my hidden gem yeah, of all time. Yeah, your three letters. Yeah, a letter to three wives. Three wives, sorry. Yeah, so that's, and that's, and I'm just thinking, this guy was just stupidly versatile. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was almost like he could do anything. He could do anything with it. And there was a big question that whenever I come up with guys and dolls, that always comes up in my head is, how the heck did Marlon Brando end up in this movie? Yeah, how did they get him to agree to that? Because you had you had Marlon Brando. You have Frank Sinatra. Yeah, he sings. That's what he does. You had Gene Simmons. All these people. They had Marlon Brando, who, if I if I remember, this is the only musical he ever made. I think so. I've, I've been, I've, yes, he did lots of quirky things, but I think this was only genuine, you know, straight up musical. Straight up musical, where he's playing a musical and he's supposed to be singing. And yeah. the thing is, what I was talking about the whole dancing thing is because in that... Luck be a lady. Yeah. Whenever you see that number anywhere else on stage or anything like that, it's a big dance number. Yes, they're all yeah, jumping about. They're jumping they? about because at that point they're in the sewers and they're jumping about all over the yeah. place and and they're all jumping around him and even the music is like, you know, quite peppy and it's like, yeah. it's written to dance. But when you see the film, it's he's a, just walking through it all, it's, it's, it's pretty much a lot of it is just on Marlon Brando and yeah. they ignore everybody else and he just kind of walks and there isn't really any dancing whatsoever no. which makes me think that he himself was not that comfortable with it and there's songs that on the stage show Sky Masterson sings but in the film are given to somebody else okay because the, the so or- thinking he's not as yeah he's yeah. not he does the two songs, doesn't he? In this, he sings the one with Gene Simmons, the duet when they're in. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, when they're in Havana. Your eyes are the eyes of a man who's in love. I think they start off, isn't it? Yeah. Your eyes are the eyes of a man. Is that ding dong ding? No. If yes. I were a bell, I'd be ringing. That's oh, the I one. Can't. Yeah, yeah, they sing that together, and then when they're back at, they walk back to the mission after they've been to Havana, and she says, "You know, what about you? He's got you too." Oh yeah, yeah. The, Your the, eyes are the eyes <laughs> well, of a man who's in love. Yeah, but I, I think he doesn't. But I was reading up about this, and apparently, when they originally wanted to make the film, Gene Kelly was for a long time was going to be the one who was be Sky. 
Yeah, Gene okay. Kelly was going to be Sky. Gene Kelly was going to play Sky, but the problem is this was made by um, Samuel Goldwyn Productions, mm-hmm. and they want. But Gene Kelly was under contract with MGM Studios. Okay. And so this was in the days where all the stars had contracts with studios, and it was a bit like football clubs owning teams. Yeah. So it was they could a, buy you out, but it was yeah yeah you had to negotiate quite a lot. So it, it's a bit like so. The, so it was a bit like having Manchester United going to Manchester City and going, hi, yeah, you know that star striker you have? Could we have him over for one game and then we'll give him back? <laughs> <laughs> and obviously MGM were like, no, no, Gene Kelly's under contract with us. We're not going to let him come. So that's how Gene Kelly didn't get to do it. And they had all these other people, including Frank Sinatra, who wanted to play Sky Masterson. Yeah. But the guy who was producing the film, Samuel Goldwyn, decided that Marlon Brando at that time was the biggest draw in the world. Yeah, because this is just after the man, after on yeah. the waterfront, isn't it? So he was the hot property. Yeah, and he decided that, look, he is the biggest name in the world. Mm. I'm getting him in the film. He can't sing, he can't dance, I don't care. I'm getting him, get him in the in film. <laughs> get him and in I think film. it works, actually, that he isn't your classic musical star. Because to me, that sort of slightly fish out of water thing does work for me in this. And his relationship with Gene Simmons, you know, the fact that he is this sort of bad, slightly rougher edged yeah. character. And then she has this sort of she, more more genteel, refined persona. Yeah, I, I do. I do feel like it does. It does ground the film a bit. The fact yeah. that it's Marlon Brando and it does sort of ground it and does make it seem a, li- a bit more realistic and not so musical theatre. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> which a lot of people would relate it with and I think a more yes. a more seasoned musical theatre actor might have done. Yeah, and you have. can see Gene Kelly doing his sort of singing in the rain type thing. Well, yeah, but the thing, thing is I could totally have seen because Gene Kelly is probably the most he's the he's probably the most stereotypically manly man to make a living from singing and dancing. Yeah, because he had that physique, didn't he? Yeah. He was muscular, he had that physique and he was Yeah, you you never looked at Gene Kelly man. and thought, Oh, he's a bit effeminate or something no. like that you never you, everybody i don't think anybody any man ever looked at gene kelly and thought oh that guy's prancing around and dancing and singing i'm yeah. not sure that that's not really manly it was gene kelly made it manly yeah and so it's oh um, but every now and then you do get actors like that who like because jimmy cagney started off as a song and dance as a song man, and dance man, and then yes. he was like we know now mainly as musicals like hugh jackman as well nowadays oh, yeah, yeah. he's like he's done as many musicals as he has done action, action films yeah. so there are a few times in you know every generation or so there's a couple that you think actually yeah you do you, you are the sort of triple threat <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much pretty much but so, so but, uh, but also one final thing about the whole frank sinatra wanting to play sky thing he wanted to play it so much that because marlon brando got the role he wasn't on speaking terms with marlon brando <laughs> and he, he said things like oh he said things like yeah, when Mumbles is finished, let me know. I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So always nice to have a happy set. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Although the and Gene Simmons, Gene Simmons, who plays Sister Sarah, yeah. Apparently, the the director originally he wanted to get uh who, who was it? I know that Marley Monroe really wanted no Marley Monroe wanted the role of Adelaide, but there was somebody else. He was trying to get Grace Kelly. Okay. He was trying to get Grace Kelly for the role of Sister Sarah. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it, with her and Marlon Brando? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so but then you had that Ava Marie Saint thing when in on the waterfront. You had the cool blonde with the yeah. slightly thuggish guy. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think it would have worked. Yeah. But but so eventually he, he more or less ended up with Gene Simmons. And she did High Society, didn't she, Gene, um, Gene Kelly, later on? Grace Kelly, yeah. Grace Kelly, sorry. Yeah, Grace <laughs> Kelly did. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> that would have been a confusing Was that her? Yeah, Grace Kelly did High Society with Frank Snatter and Bing Crosby. You see, now I always get confused between High Society and the Philadelphia story story. because because they're the same story, but one of them is the musical version of the other. Yes, High Society is the musical version of Philadelphia story. Yeah, and I can never remember which one was had who in it. It had James Stewart. I know James Stewart and Cary Grant. And Cary Grant in the Philadelphia story. 
Yeah. With what's her? Well, I can't think of her Catherine name. Hepburn? Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. They were Philadelphia Story, and then it was Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and okay, because, Grace Kelly. Because that's the one I know more. I know better. Society. That's I know the Philadelphia Story better than I than I do High Society. So I couldn't tell you about Grace Kelly in that. But uh, but they ended up with Gene Simmons just kind of like out of well nobody else we can't get anybody else to do this and end up with Gene and afterwards the director Joseph L. Mankiewicz was like oh thank god I couldn't get Grace Kelly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he he, he he was saying he was like I don't understand why she didn't become a bigger star than she she did because she is like he he was just so impressed with her and said that she was just like really yeah. really talented but she's been in some great stuff though Gene yeah. Simmons yeah, I th- I think Spartacus what Young what? Beth oh wow She's been loads of things. Yeah, the problem is that nowadays when you say Gene Simmons, people think of the guy from Kiss. Yeah, they're <laughs> sticking their tongue out and gurning at the camera. Yeah, they're like, Gene Simmons was in a love scene with Marlon Brando. Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna say my that. eyes. Hello, how young was he? <laughs> I know Brando was my adventurous. Eyes are but out of my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway so yeah that is a um guys and dolls guys and dolls i think great film great film i i it's one of those films that you could just watch at any time it yes just, it just, it's, it's, sometimes these films appear on like tcm don't know if you do any of the, mm-hmm. the channel flicking as we all do sometimes and when it comes on you don't go any further than that do you yeah you just you just have to you have to go and it has great great songs and you think it. oh i just listen to this number and then two hours later yeah <laughs> Just later, Still there. it lets you go. <laughs> so, um, final words on guys and dolls. Oh, it's worth worth revisiting if you haven't seen it for ages. Yeah, you you'll love it all over again when you see it. I love this film. Mm-hmm. Cool, good stuff. Oh, and you know the song um, when you see a gent spending. Yeah. That song isn't actually called Guys and Dolls, is it? Uh, oh. Okay, no, and everyone because I was thinking for a while that Guys and Dolls is a is a musical that doesn't actually has a, a song called Guys and Dolls. It's one of those rare musicals that doesn't actually have its it has title. the words guys and dolls in the song, but it, they don't actually say it together, do they? Yeah, then they never say the words guys and dolls in the song. No, no, they so, don't. Yeah, and it's I think it's one of the few musicals that doesn't actually have its title song in it or yeah. a song named after the title in it. You're um, right. Oh well, well, well. That's only if that song isn't called Guys and Dolls. The problem is I can't remember what that song's called. <laughs> I can sing it, but I can't remember what it's called. All right, and now uh, we get to a patient choice. Dan and Dave, this is the point that uh, you get to start. This is the point that I promised you about. And every Friday, I go into Adopted Ward Alveston and I walk around and ask people a simple question, which is, "Was the first film you ever saw in the cinema?" Today, I got to speak to two people in there because one of them butted into the interview of the other one. <laughs> like, hey, Dan and Dave. Yeah, I know, I know. No. <laughs> now, let me get this right. Let me get this right. It was Dave butted into Dan's interview. So if you listen to we're going to play Dan's interview first and then Dan's song choice. And then in the background, towards the end, you should be able to hear Dave just sort of like, you know, pipe up in the background, <laughs> giving his point of view on on um, on Dan's choice. So uh, here's what Dan had to say about the first film that he ever saw at the cinema. So my name's Tosin, I didn't catch yours. Uh, my name's Dan, Dan Stokes. Dan Stokes, okay, so you were saying an early film that you remember seeing in the cinema. Yeah, very early, it was um, Al Jolson. So was, that was the Jolson story? Th- this was Jolson, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember much about it? Who did you go to see it with? Um, I can remember the guy I think was called Larry Parks, yep, who was the star. And um, it, it's a very strong memory of mine from childhood. 
So I don't know how I came to come to go there, but probably mother or father took me, or an aunt or a grandmother or whatever. But very memorable. Oh, cool. That's that's awesome. And what do you remember most about? You said it's a strong memory. So what what do you remember most about oh, the film? The music, incredible music. Yeah, very very good. Have you revisited the film ever since you watched it as a kid, or? No, I've never revisited it. No, but um, I would like to. Maybe one day. <laughs> is there any song that because what we do is that usually we play a song from the film. So is there any song from that from Jolson that you remember? And you think yes, I would like to hear that tonight. Oh well, April showers was one of the very famous Jolsons and very good, very good song. So April shows from Al Johnson. That's it. Okay, thank you very I much. I want to know what Miss Benson would like to hear. Miss Benson, what is your pleasure? April showers. April showers. Let's not keep the lady waiting, honey. Though April showers may come your way just for you, just for you. They bring the flowers that bloom in a May. So if it's raining, have no regrets, because it is rain. Come Yes, so that was um, Larry Parks playing Al Jolson, but that was actually Al Jolson singing because Larry yeah. Parks was not allowed to do his own singing in the film, was he? Nope. <laughs> they got yeah, they did the the, the lip sync thing. Well, well, it makes sense if you're trying to play Al Jolson, you're not going to yeah. go and go. You go up there, be Al Jolson. You see, yeah, you see, that's <laughs> the most famous person in the world at that time. Now, now, when we on this show, we kind of pride ourselves on being film buffs. So when we go out there and we actually interview people and we ask them whether we we kind of because we interview them probably about an hour before we actually go on air, yeah. and we're kind of just sort of trusting on the fact that collectively we've seen so many films that we would have seen all the films that they're talking about. And this time, I thought we might be stumped because I was like, "Oh, the Al Jolson story, I don't know." But of course, there's Sharon. Yay! <laughs> Sharon with her massive brain and film watching <laughs> life. You've seen this film. I've seen this film many times, actually, because it's one of my mum's favourite films. Way! Yeah, because it was released in 1946. Thank you, Sharon's mum. <laughs> I was introduced to all sorts of things. That's probably why I love the 50s film so much, because that's my mum's sort of era yeah. in the 50s. Yep. But this was 1946, um, and my mum used, used to go to the pictures with her dad every Saturday. Mm hmm. Throughout the war, and then after the war, and then up in. So, mum, in 1946, my mum would have been in her teens. Mm -hmm. So she remembers going to see this with her dad at Newport Cinema, where they used to go and watch the whole show. You know, the B reels, the news reel, the B picture, then the the main picture, and this was the main picture. Yeah, I think they. She just loved this. She went to see this several times. But yeah, it's the out the story of Al Jolson. I think it's slightly fictionalized, as often these early biopic type films were. They yeah. tended to slightly smooth over some of the maybe the rougher aspects of someone's character or life yeah but it is loosely based on the, the life story of al jolson mm -hmm. famous for being the first talkie yeah he, the, he was the first he was the first person to ever talk on film yeah so he was in the jazz singer which is 
um, obviously the first talking picture as well as being the first sort of musical in many ways was because yeah. he sings and he talks and yeah. he does all sorts of things on film <laughs> but it starts off with his early life his sort of like early religious life where he's I think was he a cantor or were they, were they grooming him to be some sort of cantor but a sort of Jewish synagogue singer yeah. who sort of sings the services I've got to be honest with you that about the only thing I really know about Al Justin's career is when he went into blackface yes so, so and then <laughs> he went into the minstrel show yeah. yeah, which is, I think we're deeply uncomfortable with now. Well, I think nearly everyone is deeply uncomfortable with. Yeah. The yeah. fact that, you know, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I think I can, I, I can have some bit of, like, what's the word, sympathy, because I can understand that at that time they probably weren't wanting black people to be on stage. No. People weren't wanting black people to go on stage and do all that kind of stuff, So, but they still wanted sort of stories of music that was from that kind of from area. From the South, yeah. The, so the if they were going to try and tell stories that had black people in it, the only option is kind of like how they wouldn't let women on stage during no, Jewish experience times. times yeah. So it's, it's a bit like that. So the only thing is that you'd have to have a man with a beard and a dress acting like a woman. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so I have a little bit of sympathy. I don't I don't immediately think that that means that Al Jolson was like a massive racist or anything like that. But no, it, it's of his time. It is it's of his time, but it is uncomfortable. Yeah. So he did join the minstrel show and he was famously, he was in makeup for most of his early career that he was in the minstrel shows. Yeah. So he did sort of wear the sort of blackface and the the exaggerated sort of makeup. Yeah, lips of that. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Of all that thing that we sort of go, Ooh. But anyway, so he became famous initially as part of this, the minstrel shows. And then he became big on Broadway with these you know where they used to sort of like do a run you know a show a week and then became one of these long running shows on Broadway and then it sees how we went from that transition from being a Broadway star to when they started looking at talking pictures yeah how they wanted someone who had that presence because the current film stars they were like we see with Singing in the Rain that whole is about this sort of era isn't it how yeah. people's voices because of the recording equipment didn't sort of pick up with the the, the sort of the more tenor voices that you had to have more like a manly, gravelly yeah. presence to be heard. So they went and had a look at some of the Broadway stars to see if they would translate to screen. So that's how Al Jolson came to be famous. That they saw that he was massive on Broadway and they wanted someone who could sell a talking picture. Yeah. So it's like you see him on thought, stage. You yeah. probably couldn't get a ticket. Now you can come see him all over the country. You don't have to go to New York. Yeah. And because it thought it was a fad as well. Actually, but, hey, this is itself. just a fad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you see his life, this sort of, yeah, slightly glossy life of how you see him come to be make the jazz singer. Yeah. And how his first marriage is sort of, you know, how they fall in love. And that's that song, April Showers, where she's a Broadway star. Mm -hmm. And he sees her in the audience. He's like, no, hey, honey, what would you like me to sing for you? Yeah. And that's sort of the start of their romance. And then later on how she wants to retreat a little bit from the limelight and he wants to carry on soaking up that, that yeah. adulation and that their lives sort of part. So it, it's sort of the story of their, their marriage as well, the sort of the rise and fall of their marriage and his and the rise and rise of his career. Yeah. And there was a second film called Out Jolson Sings Again. Yeah. And that looks at how his career had a resurgence during the Second World War when he went to entertain the troops. He was famously one of the, 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 the main people who actually went out around the world entertaining the US troops. Oh. And so the second film, Out Jolson Sings Again, is based on that part. Based of his on life. that part of his life. But yeah, I know, I've been watching it many times. Great songs. I mean, even if you don't like those early 20th century songs, they're presented in such a way that you can't help but love sort of April showers and. It's all about the setting. It's all about the setting, and you're drawn into it. So I know Mum was like a in the 40s yes she just absolutely loved this film and so when it when we started getting our dvds you know we sort of converting video to dvds yeah. i actually managed to get her the box set of 
Jolson story and Jolson sings again. So every now and then sometimes say, well, shall I put <laughs> a Jolson story? And so we sometimes will sit and watch that together. Or Cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually good to know, especially that the second film was actually still based on his life. I thought yeah. they would just have gone the Hollywood thing and gone, the first one liked it. Let's make up some stuff about Al Johnson. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. I think they even <coughs> talk about the make in the first film. I think they even talk about the Larry Parks played him in the... They actually reference Larry Parks in the second film, I seem to remember. Really? Yeah, it's a bit weird because, how they do it. Because, well, that's weird because it was still Larry Parks playing him. Yeah. Because the first one was released when? 46? 1946. And the second one was released... 10 years later yeah so uh, never mind <laughs> yeah it's slightly confusing <laughs> never mind I'm, I'm like if it's second world war how they no, no. no I think what it is they go up to the phase where they start talking about making a film about his life because oh. this was made in 1946 so you okay. see him meeting Larry Parks who's going to play the younger version of himself so they had Larry Parks playing Al Johnson and had some younger person playing Larry Parks no Larry Parks playing both characters Larry Parks played played Johnson <laughs> yeah. and played oh yeah. you have one of those things where you think that was really awkward and it slightly doesn't quite match up but Larry Parks is like introduced to him as saying this is Larry Parks he's going to be playing you on screen and it's like oh hello Larry Parks <laughs> I'm Al Johnson that, that is, that <laughs> so is extre- really sort of that's extremely meta for the 1950s yes that is really Really, really yeah. better for the 1950s. Oh wow, that is awesome. <laughs> okay. Oh, and then so after we spoke to Dave, you might have heard him in the background. No, so we spoke yeah, to Dan. To sorry, sing, didn't he? A song. You see, you hear. You might have heard Dan, who started singing April Showers. So after that, I spoke to Dan and asked him a little bit about. Well, originally about the first one we saw in the cinema, but he's had a bit of a life, and so it it deviates. Yeah. <laughs> it deviates. Let's I'm just happy say. With that. Let's say that the the, the the interview it deviates, but it's a good one. It's a good one. It deviates to a good place. And here is Dave. Sorry, so um sorry, I didn't catch your name. Dave, David Graham. David Graham. Is that Daniel. Yeah, so you were you were sort of like piping up while while um Dan was doing Yeah, this. I remember the well April Showers was a lovely, lovely song by uh, uh Al Johnson. Yeah, I don't go back just as far as that, <laughs> but 60s, 1962, I, uh, there was a hit by a group called The Tornadoes, called Telstar, and I happened to join them in 1979 as their lead guitar player, and I've been with them ever since. Seriously, so, yeah, so you, still play, you still play with The Tornadoes? Yeah, we still. there's only two left, there's only Clem and myself left, but... Uh, uh, claims the original. I, I didn't join them till much later on. But it, Daniel mentioned Larry Parnes here. Larry was actually the manager of Billy Fury. Billy Fury back then, and and I met Larry and and uh, briefly, very briefly back then, all those years ago. Did you ever speak to him about like his role as Jolson or anything like that? No, no, I didn't actually know. I didn't know that till Daniel just said that the other day. That he was involved in that, but he was in um, he was in the film Telstar, the film. Larry Pond is in it, and he's played by Jez Conrad, who's another '60s star. He actually played him in the film. And our drummer from the Tornadoes is the chauffeur, and he played a, a, a little role of as chauffeur in the, probably one of the most famous drummers that Britain's ever had, really, from the Tornadoes. Forty-seven number ones he's played on. Well, as a session drummer. As a session drummer for Decca, yeah, back in the 60s. Yeah, he's 79 now. Yeah, there you go, yeah. yeah. Because I, I remember Telstar because I was in a show um, of Return to the Forbidden Planet. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it kicks off with the, you know, the song. Da, 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 yeah, yeah. It just kicks off with that yeah, Telstar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very famous. Ten weeks at number one. Oh, wow. 
that was, yeah, yeah. Written by Joe Meek in a kitchen in Holloway Road. In a kitchen. The drums were in the fireplace. Oh, yeah. So it was recorded in the kitchen as well? Yeah, it did, well, it was the living room type kitchen. He'd knocked it all into one, unknown to the landlady, who was horrified when she saw what he'd done to her living room and kitchen and everything, you know. He made it into a recording studio. He was a nutcase, <laughs> but a very clever nutcase, as they usually are, you know. So, uh, yeah. Yep, so, uh, yeah. So how about you know, like your earliest film memory? Can you do, do you, can you remember what with like a, oh, a very early film that you went to go see at the cinema? Um, I think one of the earliest films. I think was Tammy. Remember Tammy? Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. I see the riding above. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy is my love. That was it, yeah. Tommy, I think, was the name of the song as well. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. That's the very earliest I think I can think back to. Okay. Um, Don't worry, we'll get researching. We'll get researching and find that because Debbie Reynolds shows up quite often on the show. Oh, right, right. right. Yeah, we've had, because we sp we've spoken about Singing in the Rain. Uh, we've spoken about, uh, oof, what was the, she, the one she plays a tomboy in it. Oh, the unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she, she was actually in a film with Frank Sinatra as well. Yes, I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, can I? Um, My goodness. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a search for that. We're gonna have a search. But thank you so much, Joseph. You're <laughs> welcome, sir. There we have it, the psychedelic sounds of Telstar, yeah. especially for you, especially for you, Dave. It's great. We've been looking up on Wikipedia, looking up on the, the history of tornadoes. There were a lot of members. <laughs> <laughs> there were loads of members through the years. And look at, there's probably like 20 names. This is like it's been a mix and match of everything like that. But that was such a great thing to say. Like, you know, yep, I was the lead guitarist right. of, like, you know, according to Wikipedia, the first... British group to have a number one in the US. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> they were the first nice British. work. It, no, it's really cool. So, Tammy, if we can go quickly into Tammy, the film that he said that he, the first yeah, time I Debbie remember Reynolds. Seeing. See, I'm not as familiar with Tammy. I think I have seen it once a long time ago, but I'm mm -hmm. not as familiar with it as, uh, as other films. So I, I failed. <laughs> we failed. But oh, I you finally, you flummoxed us. You flummoxed us, Dave. <laughs> yeah, so I do think it is, I, I do, I have, I have snatches of, sort of pictures in my head of her with her like bubble haircut and she's like a 50s girl mm -hmm. and I think she is it I think she's trying to find love I think you do on there I think well, yeah, it's a... <laughs> as it, young girls do I think yeah she's I think is there something about a richer older man who has a yacht I don't know <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're gonna I'm having to... awful yeah these visions of oh, is that the right film we're, we're gonna have to go see like oh go go track this film down now so that we can revive it there but i think this was debbie reynolds breakout film i think this is when she was suddenly gone 
Oh look. Yeah, that was singing in the ring. Well, singing in the ring was her first film. Yeah, I think this was like her. Say, this is her on her own. Okay, yeah, the first oh, as a as a lead. Yeah. As a, oh my word! It's Debbie Reynolds and Leslie Nielsen. Oh my goodness! Yeah, me. it's it's called Tammy and the Bachelor, 1954, 1957 romantic comedy, and it's got Leslie Nielsen in it. Does he have a yacht? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Let's see. Tammy is a seventeen-year-old girl living in a houseboat in Mississippi with her grandpa. She runs around barefoot, dreaming of life after the swamp, and, and talking to her best friend Nan, a goat. One day in the swamp, Tammy and her grandfather decide to locate the wreckage of a plane the grandfather had heard crash and discovered the unconscious body of Peter Brent. Leslie Nielsen! Hey. And her grandfather... You can't be serious. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like Shirley. It's like, it's like, Shirley, you can't be serious. I am, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> During which time, Tommy falls in love with Peter. However, he must return to his home and tells... Oh, so he's a rich dude, so he probably does have a boat. Yeah. So, oh my God. Oh, I... Okay, Leslie Nielsen, if you don't understand why I'm freaking out, there's a series of films called The Naked Gun yes. and also another one called Airplane. In his later career, Leslie Nielsen got introduced to a whole bunch of young kids, people like me, for instance, who never knew about him as an actor. And he was just like, I just saw this white-haired guy who... I, he could deadpan with the he, best of them, oh, He was he? so good. He was so good. This white-haired guy who I originally thought was Steve Martin. I was like, no, that's not Steve Martin. That's a different guy yeah, because they had guy. very similar haircuts at that time. And he, I, I just remember watching Naked Gun and think it was the funniest thing ever because it was a comedy in which he just walks through the entire film and he's just acting... He's he's acting like it's it's straight and he he acts yeah. almost as if he doesn't realize he's in a comedy and it just it's just hilarious and Leslie Nielsen was like the master he was the master of spoof movies yes so, lots of them yeah and, and then as I grow older and I get more into film I start realizing that Leslie Nielsen he has a long career has been in films before that because I yeah, spoke Forbidden ab- Planet he was in Forbidden Planet he was the yeah. captain in Forbidden Planet and it's going back he was in the film I think it was it's a film about Hollywood called the Bold no the Something and the Beautiful. It has Kirk Douglas in it, and I know the one you mean. Yeah. It isn't the Bold and the Beautiful then? Oh, no, was it Something and the Beautiful? I go, oh, is he? In, I know he plays something where he's like an, a Hollywood producer and yeah. there's an up and coming star, and essentially he just. But oh, but, so whenever I find an old movie that has Leslie Nielsen in it, I'm like, yay, Leslie yeah. Nielsen! <laughs> so thank Being you. Being suave. Thank he's, you. He could be. Yeah. Thank you for that, Dave. Thank you so much for that. So, Tammy, we need to go watch that film and go find yeah. out what it's about. But thank you, and I hope you enjoyed us playing Telstar. And now we go into the section of the show where we talk about a hidden gem, uh, a film that has is a really, really good film that we think hasn't actually gotten its day in the sun. Sharon, would you like to tell us what film this is that we're talking about today? Yeah, it keeps staying with our sort of 50s film, 50s film theme um, for this part of the show anyway. This is a 1954 gem of a film called The Student Prince. The Student Prince. And now what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the audio of The Student Prince trailer to see how they sold the film back in 1954 and what it was that they actually, well, essentially what they told you about the film. Uh, here it goes. Kathy the barmaid, and becomes the new singing sweetheart of motion pictures. 
songs, MGM introduces a new romantic personality, Edmund Purdom, as the student prince. Beloved, with all my heart I love you, with every breath I pray, someday you will be mine, summer or spring, winter or fall. a love story, they say. To be sure, all the world loves this gay and delightful story of young hearts and young love. The Student Prince brings you a new and thrilling experience in musical entertainment from the same brilliant talents that gave you the great Caruso. The rollicking, lilting story of the Prince and the Barmaid. A heart-lifting, buoyant romance amid the color and old-world beauty of Heidelberg. Please, Your Highness. No, no, not Your Highness, just calm. Please, I took your advice. Surely I deserve a reward. Are we alone? Alone? No, we are, we are together. What's the matter? His Highness, Karl Franz, heir apparent to the throne of Karlsberg, Knight Commander of the Grand Order of Frederick the Bold, and so on, has just been assaulted. Uh, where? On the premises. Your niece knocked him down. Maybe he got fresh. Princes do not get fresh. They occasionally make advances. You realize what will come of this, Ruler? He won't get fresh again. Yes, this marvelous singing voice of Mario Lanza. Now, that's a man who, if you invited him around to your house, you would hide all of your glass. Like, all yeah. your glass. <laughs> yeah. 
what? be shattering every time he hit that note. Exactly. It just seems like it just go to, he's opened his mouth and everything just breaks. Yeah. And from what we gather, you hide your food, you hide your alcohol, and you hide your drugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let's go into that because I said in the intro how Mario Lanza, he sings, but you never get to see him. You don't see him. No, Evan Perdom does a bit of good lip syncing for this. But yes, I think at this time, this was when Mario Lanza was coming a little bit unstuck in his personal life. So his weight was ballooning. He had problems with alcohol and sort of drug abuse. So he was unstable, basically. So they, they got him to record the music. But then when they came to film the film, he just wasn't fit to, to do the, <laughs> to do the actual film. So they got Edmund Purdom into lip syncing because they'd obviously thought, we can't let the, the soundtrack go to waste. So, yeah, they, you hear Mario Lanza. And he is, they made no secret of it. This is Mario Lanza singing. Yeah, because It's usu- all over everything. Yeah, because usually at, the, at that time, they would make the film and you would have like one person singing and another person and they wouldn't tell you. They no. just You just walk out thinking, oh man, that person has a great voice. So, yeah. so I'm thinking that it's quite weird that they took in their marketing, they took a big step of saying, this is not Mario Lanza, this is not this guy singing. It's Edward yeah. Purdom, but Mario Lanza's doing all the singing. And yeah. I thought that's really, really... It's, I, think, I don't it's think really... I've ever seen it before in such a way they've just sold it in such a big way. Yeah. And I think the soundtrack and the soundtrack album was huge. Because mm. I know, you know, I've, I've met people when like my mum's friends, no, not my mum's, my, my, my friends, mum and dads. Yeah. And, in the past, you know, I would often chat to them about different music and stuff, and we would talk about different films because, unlike most of my contemporaries, I like loved fifties films when I was in my teens. Yeah. So sometimes I'd chat with my friends, mum and dads, and I'd say, "Oh, I would just go out and watch, you know, The Student Prince." They're going, "Oh, I had that album when I was a girl." <laughs> <laughs> And they'd look at you and say, why have you, a 14-year-old girl in 1984, got the student prints on an album? Yeah. And it's just like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> it's great music. Does great music date? No. Why shouldn't I listen to 50s music in the 1980s? So I've always listened to the old stuff and loved it. And I've always loved Mario Lanza. And I mentioned before, uh, my Uncle Harry, it, Mario Lanza was his favourite song. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the favourite singer kind of thing. Favourite singer, yeah, yeah sorry, favourite singer. And he only had one album, and that was Mario Lanza. <laughs> and so he, is, he used to sing it. So, yeah, he used to, I remember sort of sitting down and having a long chat with Uncle Harry once about how great Mario Lanza was. <laughs> All right, okay. So, yeah, we've, so this means a lot to me in personally, sort of the music and personally, because it's one of those films I really enjoyed. And actually, this used to be what I, was my Good Friday film. All right. Because... In our house, we're sort of Christmas tradition, so we always watch White Christmas at some point over the Christmas week. It's got to be done. And if one of us doesn't grab it, someone else will. So it's our traditional thing. And for me, I always used to watch The Mar- the Student Prince on a Good Friday because it was just long enough for me to make hot cross buns. <laughs> I could make the mixture, let it prove, and then I could sit down and watch The Student Prince. And by the time the film had finished, my buns would be finished proving, <laughs> ready to bake. <laughs> so it was the perfect length of time for me to sit and wait for the hot cross buns to get ready. So See, I've seen h- this h- film. Hidden, hidden gem and food timer. And a food timer. And so I have many good memories of this. But basically... Basically, the story is Prince Karl, as we've heard, of this Prussian house that's got an ancestry running back to Frederick the Great or whoever, um, is, he's been raised as the heir apparent of this this Prussian principality yep. and kingdom, this small kingdom, in the days when there were loads of these sort of German Hedel, sub-states. Hindenburg, Heidelberg, in Heidelberg, Heidelberg yeah. or something. And he is due to get married and he's and his fiance meets him and says, you're just a Prussian pickle. You need to learn about life before you can learn to be a good husband or a good king. Mm-hmm. And so his tutor agrees with his grandfather that he needs to learn 
about being a man before he can be a prince and a king eventually. So with his tutor and his manservant, he's sent to Heidelberg University to learn about life as an ordinary man. He's not supposed to use any of his titles or he's supposed to just try to blend in. Mm -hmm. So you see at the beginning all these students marching off because that's their starting the, the school year. So he goes off to Heidelberg and in the inn where he's supposed to be staying incognito, he meets the barmaid Kathy, who's just like adored by all the student population because she, you know, she brings the steins of beer and has a jolly old sing with them. And as he gets to know her, they sort of fall in love, mm -hmm. and they have this sort of perfect summer. Well, it's the sort of the autumn really. They start in the summer, so it's the perfect autumn where they just fall in love, and he sees what it's like to have friends who don't know that he's a royal prince, who have this girl who just thinks he's an ordinary man. And he can just enjoy his life as as a, as, a, as any other man would in the prime of his life in his youth, as it's called. And as the summer progresses, then sort of life, his life intrudes. His grandfather becomes ill, and it's he has this torn. He's torn between duty and love. Yeah. And he has to make that decision. You know, what's the honourable thing to do? Is it to be honourable? Is it to to go with, you know, to run away with Kathy and to live their lives together? as you know ordinary people to give up his sort of throne and responsibilities or is the honorable thing to do is to take up responsibilities and sort of take this memory of this love with him yeah and do you want me to tell you what they decide in the oh end? go on he just he goes with duty so he decides that he will go back to his kingdom oh, wow. and he does leave kathy behind and he accepts that he will marry this this princess this royal princess yeah and that he will become the king of this principality when his grandfather dies. And there's an amazing song in it called I'll Walk With God that he sings when his father and his grandfather dies and he becomes the king. Yeah. And it's sort of his vow basically that he will walk with God and he'll rule his kingdom with sort of like faith and duty and with passion. But you know, this will be his passion from now on. But he's heading towards his coronation when he decides that He's left things unfinished with Kathy. That he, they just, he, they were going to run away together, but he was called away, and so they couldn't flee in the night with each other as they had originally planned. So he goes back and he sees Kathy alone in the inn, and he says, "You know, you, know, you were my, you are my love. I still love you." And she says, "No, no, no, no. I'm not your your only love. I'm your first love. Mm. But I want you to go on and love your your life from now on. But I'm your first love, and I will always cherish it. But it is." your first love yeah not your only love and so she sends him away to sort of rule his kingdom and to live his life with you know, without her basically so it's this wonderfully romantic film but sort of you know with tempered with bittersweet you know, bittersweet so a bit, aspects a bit, of it probably a bit more realistic as to how life turns out then. yeah 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 that they have this wonderful happy summer together this autumn together but that he reality comes back but it doesn't have to be horrible that you know his duty doesn't have to be a burden yeah and his kingship doesn't have to be a burden it can be because he's more human now he can recognize and he can be know, a better king be a better hopefully. king because of it so it's uh, this experience was like yeah made him a better man and it made him a better king well, okay, and I some see, lovely songs up until you said that I was thinking that this even watching the trailer and everything like that I was thinking that this had massive shades of um of pretty woman yes yeah pretty woman but I was like oh yeah but then they've They've changed the ending. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, she doesn't become a princess. <coughs> no, because you think when you first see them, you think she'll just become a princess. Yeah, that's, that's the way these films go. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, she stays at the inn and he goes back to his palace.
So you'd think it'd be a sad ending, but it's not actually. They, they end it with quite a positive is note it, where you see, she, you see her wiping a tear away, but then she goes back to picking up her steins and going back with her life. Well, you see now, just with that, or just you telling me how that ends, that's this film has immediately shot up in my estimation. <laughs> I was like, oh my, it's not just like it's not just some 1950s rom com with a love singing and Mario Lanza. This actually sounds like yeah. there's some substance to it. So yeah, and I would say to anyone, you know, listen to our What with God. That's a fantastic sort of stanza almost. It's just amazing. And when I, it's on one of my sort of Mario Lanza, I've still got Mario Lanza CDs. And they're on my <laughs> iPod, actually. I've got Mario Lanza on my iPod. I don't know how many people would say that. <laughs> but I have got a What We've Got on my iPod. It's oh. a fantastic song. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So for you, Hidden Gem needs to be found. Yes, the student prints. And occasionally it does pop up on TCM. So if you are on Sky, keep an eye out because it does appear every now and then. Good stuff. Good stuff. Right. We are running out of time quickly. <laughs> and so we ran out of time quickly. I think it's it's like Dan and Dan and Dave. We had too much fun with them. So, but um, uh, we go into the section of the show, which is called the exception to the rule. Now, the rule is they don't make them like they used to, but every now and then they do. And some film comes out after 1980 that you look at that and go, "Wow, that's awesome." That would have stood at any time of film, and maybe even they've done some stuff in this film that they couldn't have done before 1980, but they've managed to keep the same spirit use the new technology, make something better. And today we are talking about a film that was made in 1986, made in 1986, and has become a bit of a cult classic as time goes on. And that film is, Sharon? Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yay. Not to be confused with Legend, Tyrone Tom Cruise, which is what I always do. Those are the two eighty fantasy movies. The two eighties, yeah, those fairy, always yeah, fantasy fairy tales. Yep, yeah, fantasy fairy tales. So Labyrinth, starring Jennifer Connelly, a very a fourteen year old Jennifer Connelly, who's yes. she's now a big star, has won an Oscar, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, she's maintained her career. You still see her in films yeah. today. Yeah, she's 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 really good. I really like Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. And of course, David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie. They're they're pretty much the only two humans in the film. Yes. Apart, got the old the, her dad appears, doesn't he? Briefly, her dad appears. Um, her, step, her baby brother's baby there. Brother and stepmother. Yeah, yeah, but he's a baby. So yeah, but but almost the rest of this film are all puppets. Yeah. And it was done by the it was by Jim Henson. Jim Henson. Jim Henson's he directed it. It was directed by uh, the Jim Henson Creature Workshop. And they had, and so this the entire film was just populated with all these Muppets, all these puppets. Muppets? <laughs> Muppets. Yeah, I guess, well, I guess they're Jim Muppets. Jim Henson did do the Muppets. Yeah, he didn't do the Muppets. So, like, it's probably. Some of them do the, look a bit Muppety. Yeah, a lot of them do. Yeah, quite a few of them that they look a bit furry and stuff like that. But yeah. it also goes into a bit more, like, you know, you have you have ogres and you have dwarves and you have, like, elves and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And it, it just creates this amazing fantasy world with puppets of Muppets which are whichever one of them <laughs> whichever one it is but um, David obviously said David Bowie's in the film and obviously people would think oh we can't have David Bowie in the film and not have him do something so here is a song from Labyrinth which is uh, it's one of David Bowie's big numbers and we'll come back and tell you who David Bowie plays and a bit more about the storyline of Labyrinth after this
is a babe. Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. You do. Remind me is the babe. A goblin babe. Yes, so that was David Bowie playing Gareth, the Goblin King, in Labyrinth. So, storyline of Labyrinth, go! Right, it starts off with a teenage girl, Sarah, who has recently added, added to her family a stepmother and then a new baby brother. And she lives in her sort of fantasy world where she dreams of knights and she dreams of chivalry and days gone by. And she makes a wish to the Goblin King that he'd they take her baby brother away because she has to babysit and she finds him annoying and it's just not the life that she wanted to have. So she makes this wish and then the Goblin King hears her and makes her wish. But then because she says, no, 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 I didn't mean it. He goes, right, I'll give you 13 hours in which you can solve the labyrinth and then if you can get to the Goblin City and get your baby brother back, you can have him back. But if you don't get there in 13 hours, I'm going to change your baby brother into a goblin forever. Yeah. And he's mine. So that's the story starts. So then she's then she's let loose into the labyrinth. This sort of fantasy world opens out. And then she has 13 hours to negotiate her way through all the obstacles and tricks and traps and get her way to Goblin City where she can get her baby brother back. Mm-hmm. And along the way, she meets various different muppety puppety characters and she's all all the way she's all taunted and um, teased by David Bowie's character the Goblin King Jareth yeah and so you meet a little caterpillar who sends her in directions um, the wrong direction (laughs) and then you meet Ludo who's a great big oh he's a big hairy thing (laughs) with tusks and horns and you meet the dog Ambrosius who's ridden by a knight. Yeah. Um, Foxy Knight. What's his name? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember his name, but I do Sir, remember the... F- not since a Lancelot or something, but something like that, yeah. isn't it? And so, yeah, she actually gathers this little mini army around her supporters who help her to find her way through the labyrinth. And you have these amazing set pieces there. You have, like, where she has to do this... There's a chess game with all these moving pieces that move about and she has to solve riddles and she meets these like fire beasts who try to take her head off because they can move their arms and legs and hey you can't take someone else's head off (laughs) let's take her head off and (laughs) (laughs) they have these different games and then you have this where she's almost like seduced into this fantasy world where sort of Jareth get tempts her to stay in this sort of world with him as his queen yeah this sort of the goblin city yeah and then it's but it's all you know lies and Obfuscation. Yes. Yeah. It's a Didymus. That's it. It's a Didymus. With Ambrosius, the dog. And they get, yes, and and different things. If you fail different tricks, you end up in the bog of eternal stench. (laughs) 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 And so they have to navigate their way through all these trials and tribulations to this quest, like a a medieval quest. (laughs) Of the best fantasy kind, and yet to save her baby brother in the end. Okay, so no, Labyrinth is a film that is, it's okay. When it came out in the cinemas, it, it didn't do that well. 
it didn't do that well and it would the the failure of labyrinth the financial failure of labyrinth was actually something that hit jim henson quite hard it was the last film he directed and he wow. died and he died four years later his son brian henson who took over the creature workshop says that he it's the it's the worst he's ever seen his dad like he just oh, seemed like, how like sad. that because the response to the film just was not that good people were lambasting it they but since then it's developed a cult following and it's it's so like it's it's been so like revised people look yeah. back at it and go oh, hang on a second let's have a look at this thing and everything and i feel like it's it's it has all the trappings of a kid's film yeah the fact that you have like a you have a, a 14 year old child as the key as the the, yeah. the leader of it and the the problem that she has oh my younger brother's annoying is something that like you know a lot of kids would actually yeah. you know it has puppets all over the place and everything like that but you feel like the world that they built like you know so the, the world of this labyrinth is quite well detailed and designed and mm-hmm. like you know they have all these things like you know the bog of eternal stench yeah. which I, th- I think is a great name i yeah. think that's, that's one of the greatest names of anything in any film ever <laughs> so, the bog of eternal stench we still threaten people with that now don't you it's like you do that you'll end up in the bog of eternal stench <laughs> well yeah i think you should you should do it she actually just opened up a pub called the bog of eternal stench yeah. <laughs> i think it's so you have all you had all these different things and i one i so and I know it became a massive sort of cult thing here in in England. Yeah. So it was something I didn't, I never really saw it. I didn't watch it when I was growing up. I only found it like later in life, and everybody kept talking about Labyrinth. And I thought, oh yeah, oh, gotta go watch that. And it's, it's I remember even once I were at home, uh, and my my sister in law, she Elaine, she was like, she was like, oh yeah, Labyrinth, they should go watch that. We should watch. It. I was like, well, really? Okay, cool. Let's, let's have a look. And then watching and going, oh, this is interesting. This is a bit different. Yeah. But what? And the thing I like about it is that you see. The, she when you talk about the quest she has all these things that she has to solve and she has to solve some really quite bad sort of puzzles and conundrums yeah. and riddles the one i remember is the one where she has these two doors the that door she's knockers. supposed to go yeah yeah and one of them goes like uh we're two door knockers one of us always tells the lies or one of one of us always tells the lie uh, tells lies and one of us always tells the truth Yes. Which one of us are you going to go into? And so she has to figure out what question she can ask them. Yeah. That will then then she figures out until today, when I watch that scene and I watch like how she figures, I'm like, What? What happened? <laughs> how many <laughs> pages can't work it out? Yeah, it's like I thought you think so who was telling them? <laughs> yeah, it's like, so well, the well, one who told you that one always tells the truth and one always yeah. lies, is he the one who is always telling the truth because he's told you the truth then? Yeah, yeah because Or is it the other guy? Yeah, because pretty much she, she it's like she asks one question which is like Either are you telling me the truth or is he telling me the truth? Yeah. And because of that, it's because of that she so furls it and figures out which door she should go through because that one's telling her the truth. And till today, I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what happened there. And don't they actually turn to each other, the two knock door knockers, and say something like, "Is that right?" Because I've never, I've never worked it out. <laughs> yes, they, they do. They do something like, like well, I don't, I don't know. I've never, it. I've never understood it. Uh, and and then there's the bit like uh, towards the end where they have essentially the MC Escher. The Escher stairs. The Escher stairs that sort of yeah. come out and like you know it's also a different direction. I think for 1986, that's some pretty good work that they did there. And the fact that they did most of the stuff practically in the camera, it wasn't, it wasn't. They didn't have like massive computer graphics. No, where they it's could all go. there. Yeah, most of it is there. Yeah. There's some of it that was added afterwards, but most of it is there. It's just, it's just a really, really impressive film. I mean, at least from a, just a craft point of view of what they managed to do and what they managed to, to accomplish. And I think it's, I think it's yeah. really good. And I think the fact that they have a story that doesn't dumb itself down and like the riddles don't dumb itself down. It really, 
it almost has that little bit of raw doubt thing about oh no there will be darkness and there will be it will yeah. be difficult and you will not just figure this out and it will not just be easy for you yeah and they don't all play by the rules and they do cheat it's yeah like, and hey, yeah yeah and it seems like hey that's cheating it's like so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not fair uh, and and i think some of this stuff like you know when you talk about the two doors that look at each other and go i never figured it out yeah. some of it is because the original script the first draft of the script was written by terry jones of monty python fame Oh, right. Yeah, it was of Terry Jones of Monty Python fame. It got messed around with a whole bunch of different people, and he wasn't yeah. quite happy with the final film because he was like, oh, my version was a little bit different, or it was a lot different. But yeah. I think I think the humor that you have of the thing and the different characters, you it, when when I found that out, it kind of made sense because a lot of the characters that you know she meets along the way, they do feel like the kind of characters you'd find in a Monty Python and the Holy they Grail. Do. Yeah. And they do say all these sort of weird things like Sir Didymus riding this dog and all that kind yeah. of... <laughs> and it's like, you do you do get this feeling of, of just like, you know, these are fully formed characters. These are characters who have a life and they arrive and th- there's not just exposition, but it's... it's uh, I think it's a really, yeah. really good film. I do. And you've, I've seen it not that long ago. I mean, last year, I think. And even then, you still get drawn into it. You do get drawn into it again. Oh, well, well, yeah. But I, there's something I reckon because I, I think the film has a little bit of a weird... Uh, it has a little bit of a weird um, spell that it cast almost. Because I've watched the film probably about three times. But I cannot remember how it ends. <laughs> each, each time I, I watch the film, I go, okay, cool, yeah, I got it now. And I walk away. And now when I'm thinking back, I can remember up to the bits where the Escher stairs show up. Yeah, with the baby. And I remember that there's a bit where... Um, the Goblin King Jareth is moving the baby around. Like she's trying yeah. to run. She's trying to figure out what stair I can I can walk run run up to, to to get my brother back. I remember up to that bit. Then I remember that all of a sudden she's back at home. Yeah, she I, jumps off the stairs and she decides that she's never gonna break the puzzle or break the labyrinth while she's still in it. So she jumps and it all disintegrates around her because it's all smoke and mirrors. A lot of it. So she jumps off the stairs and then it all sort of falls around her and then it's just her and Jareth confronting each other. You see, I don't remember that. Because at the beginning, she's like, she's in the beginning, she's in her fantasy world, she's around these sort of ruins and she's sort of reciting this speech. Mm-hmm. You know, you have no power over me and she's got this whole thing and then she starts saying the whole speech again, you know, you have no power over me. Mm. And so the fact that he can't take the baby because it's not his to take. And so she breaks the spell basically of the labyrinth and the spell of the Goblin King. And then she ends up back in her bedroom with her brother and but and she sort of t- takes taken down all her dolls and that's you know it's time that she grew up and left yeah. all her childish things behind her yeah and then she's like but I'm gonna miss you and then she sees in the mirror the faces of her friends like Ludo going mm. yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and Sir Didymus going my lady or whatever he says and then she's like I'm gonna miss you I don't want to let you go and they goes we don't want to let you go either and they all come charging into her bedroom. And they have a lovely big party. Okay, you see now, I remember that bit, but I. Think and then you the see the owl in the tree, and the owl is Jareth. That's why he's got that long, creepy hair because he look, he's an owl. You see now, no, don't remember that. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll probably watch it again next week and then probably forget how the. Film Get out ends. Goes again, but. <laughs> that that's that's the power the labyrinth has over me. And it's the hypnotic. <laughs> <laughs> with that we are out of time and just wanted to say get well soon get home get better get better and remember as always they, they don't, don't make, make them, them like, like they, they used, used to. to see you guys